And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now, here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome into the Can't Wait podcast presented by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together and the best of live and on demand with directtv.com. The Jets' offensive line struggled to protect Zach Wilson on Sunday as New York fell to the Panthers 19-14. I'm Marissa Morris, joined as always by the Athletics Jets beat writer Connor Hughes. We will discuss the offensive line, Zach Wilson's performance, and the positive signs on defense. But first, you may be wondering, where is Can't Wait co-host Tim McMaster? We have some very... (laughs) Connor. (laughs) Of course, I had this whole introduction planned. Okay, let me continue. We're off, we're off to a roaring start. This is this is perfect. This is exactly how the show goes. Well, we have some very exciting news. Thursday night, right before kickoff to the 2021 NFL season, Tim and his wife, Mandy, welcome to the world a sweet baby girl, Ailey Saren McMaster. Connor, we officially have a pod baby. We have a pod baby. It's been amazing. We've got like, the, it's kind of crazy how this all started where we were, um, I mean, we didn't know, well, I mean, we knew each other from like 17 different degrees of separation, but I didn't know yeah. Tim. I didn't actually know you. And now if you think about how far this thing's come and what well, we're starting our third year or, or so, and, and we've got, we've had a pod wedding that we were all at. Mm-hmm. We've had another pod wedding that's coming up that we're all going to be at. We now have a pod baby. I mean, it's been, I don't know, the can't wait podcast is growing up. It's kind of cool. I don't know. I like it. You That's a hell of an open, by the way. I was kind of hoping you. you'd go up with like the Mike and the Mad Dog, like screaming "Good afternoon, everybody!" But this, this I thought worked too. I was like thinking about doing like your style introduction and giving the time, but um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I went, I went my own way. So we're very excited for Tim and Mandy, and Tim will obviously be taking some much deserved time off. And Connor and I will do our best to hold down the fort together and not get into too many fights with each other. Um, so Connor, we have to kick this podcast off there's only one place to start and that's with the offensive line. Um, yeah. It was the biggest story of Sunday. So what, what was your evaluation of the performance against the Panthers? Yeah. So this is the thing. And I don't know if I have a rant coming. I never actually know if it's coming or not, but like watching that was, it was horrible. It yeah. was awful. It was a disaster at times. It was pathetic. And Listening to Connor McGovern after the game talk about how God, I forgot to tweet this out there. Just, <laughs> just live podcasting right here at my first, well, I usually, my first like, hosting yeah. gig and you're well, I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm like, here. I'm like waiting for your place. I know Tim's plays. Like I know Tim's keys like to pick up right when he's going. So I'm like, all right, Tim's gonna go for at least like 10 seconds now. So all I right, can well, so I'm playing off of you now. So it's it's a little right, we'll, well, we'll, I, we'll be fine I, I by the second. second. All right. Oh, so you're, you're good. Tweet, you're good. Now we're out. tweeted now. Now we're good. Okay. We're good now okay. with the tweet. So okay. what I was gonna say is that is that um what Connor McGovern said after the game, which was basically that they weren't 
doing anything exotic. He said that what they were doing was actually more vanilla and more basic than what they did last year. Um, going back and watching the game over and watching the film, they basically created the vast majority of their pressure with stunts, which was the exact same things that teams created copious amounts of pressure on the Jets in 2019 and 2020. Uh, they couldn't block it then. They've got a new blocking scheme now, a new coach now, a new offensive line coach now, a new offensive coordinator now, uh, new pieces on the offensive line, some coming back that are supposed to be improved in this scheme. And they still can't block it. And I sat there, not mouth aghast, because anyone who saw a minute of training camp saw this coming, but it was still nevertheless pathetic. It was still nevertheless disheartening. It was still nevertheless concerning because when you saw Wilson have to be peeled off the ground in the fourth quarter by his teammates, the Jets' most prized possession, the Jets' most important player, the Jets' hope, you know, help me, Obi-Wan, you're our final hope, their <laughs> final hope, their Obi-Wan, laying on the turf on his back like this with his head down and having to have the two offensive linemen who got destroyed and resulted in Wilson's head ricocheting off the turf, have to peel him up was like, what the hell? I mean, it really, it really was a, what the hell? And I know like I went out to dinner after the game with, with Samini and with Andy and with Daryl and, and Rich and, and Rich wrote a story on this, just kind of taking a different stance, which was, you know, it, it's not time to panic on the offensive line yet, which is what Rich and I were actually debating at dinner. It was like, he said, you know, it's not time to panic yet. It's not time to panic yet. And I, and I said to him, and I'll say the same thing to, to everyone right now. I would be completely in agreement with that stance. I would be completely all for that stance. If we had watched an offensive line find success throughout OTAs, throughout minicamp, throughout training camp, I would be absolutely fine and completely in agreement with that. If we saw flashes of competence from this offensive line at some point this summer to be able to say, you know what? You're right. This is the first time all these guys are coming together. This is the first time a game plan. This is the first time you're hyped up. Yeah, things went wrong. Miscommunication. They'll be able to solve it up. The Jets, from when OTAs began to when training camp wrapped up on August 26th, I believe it was, they couldn't block their own defense. The Jets couldn't block the Packers defense. The Jets couldn't block the Eagles defense. This Jets offensive line throughout all of this summer, allowed four to six sacks a practice. I have covered training camps since 2014. I have never seen an offensive line beaten like a drum like this throughout the summer. And that's why I and many others asked Salah in OTAs if he's concerned about the line. Asked him in minicamp if he's concerned about the line. Asked him after practices against the Packers and after practices against the Eagles and after practices against his own damn team if he's concerned about the offensive line. And we were told, don't worry. We were told, it's fine. We were told, we're going to scheme. It's No, it's fine. We're going to scheme this. Once we're game planning, it won't be, it, it'll be perfectly fine. It was, oh, no, don't worry. We're going to start running the ball and calling screens, and that's going to alleviate pressure on the offensive line. No, 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 no. And we were told, oh, we're running drills where the defense knows. The defense knows that it's about to be all a bunch of pass plays, so they're just teeing off and getting to the quarterback. 
Don't worry. Come the regular season, all is going to be fine. Nothing to see here. It's perfectly okay. It turns out scheme planning, game planning, and screen passes aren't some magic elixir to fix an offensive line that for three months couldn't block you or me off of the edge. And that's a fact. So what you now have is an offensive line that allowed their rookie quarterback to get hit 10 times, to get sacked six times, to get pressured on 50% of his dropbacks and come off of, this is supposed to be a new era. This is supposed to be a time when you're excited to be a Jets fan. And you've got your rookie quarterback who has bags under his eyes looking like he just got put through the ringer standing at the post-game press conference talking, talking about how he suffered whiplash. He has a neck strain and it feels like he got hit by a truck. <laughs> what the hell? Like, I'm serious. This kid, if this doesn't dramatically improve, this kid's not making it through 17 games. This kid's not making it to the bye week, let alone the end of the season. And what I don't understand, what I don't totally grasp is Joe Douglas came in here on his introductory press conference and said he was going to fix the offensive line. And this is an offensive line that is completely built in his vision. And this isn't bargain buying. George Fant was a big ticket free agent. The Jets chose to pursue him over Jack Conklin. They paid him $9 million last year. They paid him $9 million this year. Connor McGovern got a three-year, $27 million deal. That's big money for a center. They chose to go after him. They chose to pay him. Greg Van Roten, not a huge ticket, but he's somebody that the Jets invested in and then gave the starting job last year, gave the starting job this year. Makai Becton is a first-round pick, a top-15 pick. Elijah Vera Tucker is a top-15 pick himself. A rookie this year missed camp, but still a top-15 pick. And that group collectively, that group collectively built in the vision of a general manager that has said it is his sole job to build this on the offensive and defensive line, allowed six sacks, 10 hits, countless hurries, and pressure on 50% of their rookie quarterback's dropbacks to the point where in the fourth quarter, he had to be peeled off the turf like a bug off of my windshield. That's what happened in this opener. And I'm sorry, yeah, can it get better? You sure as hell hope. But I am concerned because I am not concerned off of this being some isolated incident because this is not an isolated incident. This is what we saw every single day in training camp. This is what we saw every single practice. It didn't matter if it was the Jets defensive line, the Packers defensive line, the Eagles defensive line, or anyone else. They trotted out in front of this offensive line. They allowed four to six sacks daily. And I'm sorry, you can't hide behind game planning is going to fix this. Scheming is going to fix this. The regular season is going to fix this. Because if you saw what the vanilla Panthers defense, by the Jets' own admission, the vanilla Panthers defense did on Sunday, what do you think Bill Belichick's going to do? What do you think Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are going to do? It's bad. It's really, really bad. And if you want, and again, you can take the other side of this coin. You can say, yes, it was week one. The offensive line really hasn't practiced together. It's going to take time for them to gel. As they gel, as they get more time, things will improve. They'll get better. You can take that stance. That's fine. I struggle, and I cannot take that stance because I watched the team every, and this isn't me patting myself on the shoulder. This is just me telling you, as someone who saw this team every single day of the summer, what you saw on Sunday is what I saw every single day in the summer. So why suddenly in with a practice on Wednesday, a practice on Thursday, and a practice on Friday, how are three days going to fix that? Because this isn't an isolated incident. 
This is months of ineptitude that now threaten to injure your rookie quarterback. And I'm sorry, I don't see how it's just going to get fixed. I'm sorry, I don't know how to fix it. All I know is that what I saw, what I feared, what I wrote a column about on August 24th and got ripped and ridiculed and torn apart because Salah says it's not a concern. Salah says it's not a worry. The defense knows it's just practice. It's just practice. You're making too much out of practice. It's not practice anymore. Your rookie quarterback wasn't in a red jersey anymore. Your rookie quarterback had to be peeled off the turf in the fourth quarter, which is with what I have no idea how it was not a concussion. And now he's got to do it against the Bill Belichick defense next and a talented Denver Bronco front after that. I don't know what the answer is, but your biggest fears, if you're a Jet fan, your biggest fears were realized in the opener because now it is time to sound the alarms. It is time to panic because while the offensive line is figuring this out, your rookie quarterback is getting pummeled. And there's only so many hits that he took. All those hits he took on Sunday, there's only so many of those he can take before he doesn't get back up. Well, one guy that will not be out there um, is Mekhi Becton after dislocating his knee um, out four to six weeks. How do they fill that spot at left tackle? Um, <laughs> I mean, we saw what Sunday looked like. Like, how do they try and protect Wilson on the left side. Well, I mean, if you want a silver lining, is that like in training camp and stuff, the vast majority of the pressure came from Makai Pecton's side. I mean, he was beat by Carl Lawson. He was beat by John Franklin Myers. He was beat by Preston Smith. And, and he obviously didn't practice because he suffered a concussion after he got beat in the first practice against the Eagles. So, I mean, you could say like, all right, well, maybe there's somehow like that's the silver lining in all of this. But um, they're going to go with, with George Fant at left tackle. That's going to be their new left tackle. They're going to go with Morgan Moses at right tackle. They're going to have Elijah Vera Tucker at left guard, Connor McGovern at center, and Greg Van Roten at right guard. Um, if there is a silver lining to any of this, uh, aside from like that little thing about Makai, is that they are meaning the Jets, is that this offensive line that now they're going to trot out They've actually practiced together. They've they've played a decent amount together. I mean, throughout practice last week, there were a number of times where the Jets actually worked fan at left tackle, Moses at Moses at right tackle, and then the guard guard center situation I mentioned. When Makai was out with that injury with the concussion, the Jets offensive line was fan at left tackle, more uh, Moses at right, Vera Tucker, McGovern, Van Roten. So these guys, while they don't have months and they don't have you know, uh, multiple, multiple weeks of experience playing together. They do have a a grouping of these guys where like, okay, these guys are at least, you know, they've, they've been on the field together at least more recently than the front that they trotted out week one. I mean, there were no reps for the front that they trotted out week one, aside from this week of practice when Makai got cleared. Now this group actually did practice together. This group did work together. So theoretically, that should at least semi-improve the communication. Theoretically, that should at least make them slightly better and maybe it aids in some of those stunts and stuff, but I don't know. I mean, that that's, that's what they're going to do to try to replace it. And, and we'll see if it works. I mean, now the one thing the jets keep clinging to Marissa is that they say they have three starting offensive tackles on this roster. They have Moses, they have Fant, they have Becton. There are three starting offensive tackles who they're very confident in. They lost one. Now they're going with the other two. It's going to be Moses, who they're paying $3 million to, and Fant, who they're paying $9 million to. And, and if you want to know anything about Fant, at one point, 
the uh, Seattle Seahawks felt that he was going to be their franchise left tackle. At one point, the Seattle Seahawks felt that he was going to be their guy. He then suffered an injury. They traded for Dwayne Brown. And then that's what, again, you know, caused the positional uh, rotation for uh, for Fant in Seattle until he eventually signed with the Jets. So he does have some experience and some potential there playing on the left side. And we'll see uh, if that actually, you know, what ends up happening with that. But that's how they're going to at least try to replace him to start here. Well, Becton wasn't the only injury on Sunday. Um, LaMarcus Joyner, who else? What can you tell us about uh, what Salah said Everyone. yesterday? Yeah. Everyone <laughs> went down. Yeah, so the Becton injury was um, what was reported. It was a dislocated kneecap. Now, what was lost a little bit in translation, which Salah confirmed, is that he's out a minimum of four to six weeks. So that's that's what that's what Becton's out. So he had a dislocated kneecap. It's not uh, fully torn like the, the – um, the lit, he, like he will like have surgery ACL. though, correct? Well, no. So that's the thing is that, okay. so he's out a minimum of four to six weeks because of the dislocated kneecap that then popped back in. Um, he's going for a second opinion. If the second opinion determines that he needs surgery to clean up whatever these various other things are, if he needs the surgery, then it's going to be longer. Sala said, so it's four to six weeks minimum. If he goes for this second opinion and the second opinion says you need surgery, then he's going to be out longer than the four to six weeks. Um, the bigger issue, I think, even with that, whether he's missing four to six weeks or six to eight weeks or whatever the time frame ends up being, it's that this is a big man. So this is a big man who has in the past struggled with weight ballooning when he's not routinely focusing on keeping his weight down and routinely working out and routinely burning calories. When he's not allowed to do anything because it's a knee injury, he's basically got to sit down for four weeks and then eventually start getting his feet back up. There's going to be conditioning that he has to catch up with. There's going to be um football shape that he has to catch up with and that's going to take some additional time so this isn't like maybe a receiver this isn't like a tight end this isn't like a corner who can quick more quickly acclimate not only does Makai have to get healthy and healed but then he has to get back in shape to be able to go and and perform and and block and protect zach wilson's blind side and and when again he's going to be back inserted and all of a sudden we're going to have the whole communication issues that we've had now because now the communication that this core Jets offensive line, assuming they don't have any more injuries, the communication that these five guys work to get over the next four to six weeks where they finally get that communication where they can talk without saying anything, well, now you're going to be taking Fant out from left tackle, putting Fant at right tackle, putting Beckton back at left tackle, and now suddenly all these guys have to learn each other again. So now, you know, Van, uh, Vera Tucker's got to learn about Beckton next to him, not Fant. And now Van Roten's got to learn about Fant next to him and not Morgan Moses. And now that's going to create some people. They're talking maybe the only guys that'll find would be the interior line, but there's going to be issues and concerns now because now you're switching up the offensive line at two more positions again. So it's a it's a big blow to the Jets. And it's a big blow because of that, because all of the things that the Jets want to work towards this communication, everyone being on the same page, chemistry, camaraderie, all of that is now going to take a step back because you're changing two positions. And when the guys come back, you're changing two more positions. But that's the Makai update is that he's out at least four to six weeks. Um, it'll be longer if this second opinion determines that he needs surgery. Uh, the other guy that was a big blow to this team was uh, LaMarcus Joyner, their safety. Obviously, he's somebody who had a very strong start to training camp with somebody that the Jets prioritized signing. We're really excited to get him back in a free safety role as opposed to the nickelback that the Raiders played because, again, he was a, a basically a Pro Bowl player when he was with the Rams playing safety. 
Raiders made him a nickel back for whatever. Now Jets are like, no, go back to safety. You and Marcus May are going to lead our back end and help these young guys. Um, he tore his triceps, which means that he's out for the season. So that's a big blow to the Jets, especially because Ashton Davis is still a couple weeks, couple weeks away from returning. And even when he, we're talking about Makai Becton with getting back in football shape, Ashton Davis has a practice since like November of last year. So, I mean, he's been, he's going to take him a little bit, but now they're going into Sheldrick Redwine, maybe Colbert. I mean, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with that other safety spot other than no matter what they do, it's not going to be good. Like that's, that's a fact. So uh, LaMarcus Joyner, he's out for the season with the triceps injury. Uh, the Jets' two linebackers, Jamie and Sherwood and Blake Cashman. Sherwood has a knee issue. Blake Cashman has a hamstring issue. They're out. Salah said a couple of weeks um, with those ailments, which obviously is also not good because the Jets are already without Jared Davis. So that middle linebacker spot, that Mike linebacker spot, it was supposed to be Jared Davis. Jared Davis is now out, right? So you're like, okay, Sherwood's in. Sherwood's now out, so Cashman goes in, right? No, now Cashman's out. So now you got Delshawn Phillips, the guy who was on their practice squad as their starting inside linebacker. And I know he had nine tackles last or last week, but it's like it's not it's not good there either. So the, the Jets, the Jets, there's some problems. They like this team didn't just limp out of like like they didn't just lose on Sunday. They they can't they didn't come out there beaten. They came out there bruised. And the other one obviously is Braden Mann. Um, who uh, has a sprained knee and he is out four to six weeks as well. So, I mean, it's not uh, as, as Salah said, when we talked to him on Monday, bodies are coming. They're going to, they're going to have to, they're going to have to sign some people and add some people because they don't have the numbers on their practice squad to add guys. They don't have, I mean, they need a punter now. Lachlan Edwards would be a name that I would, I would keep an eye on. He's a free agent. Uh, he's somebody that obviously has familiarity with this team. He's somebody who has familiarity holding, uh, catching like Thomas Hennessy kicks, kicks for field goals. Obviously, he's a decent enough punter where he could hold down the fort, and and he's probably still relatively close to being in the area. So Lachlan's a name I would look in there. They're going to have to add a punter. As good as Matt Amendola look, they need a punter. Um, and then, obviously, they're going to have to add bodies in that secondary. They're going to have to add bodies at linebacker. That's going to be tryout guys because they just got to find people. All right. Well, this pod podcast has been a little negative so far, so let's turn some things around. You were pretty impressed with Zach Wilson's performance. 20 for 37, 258 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. How do you evaluate his first game despite being sacked six times? <laughs> so here's the thing, and Marissa, and this is this is kind of what we've said a lot on this podcast. And and anyone who's asked me, even in 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 passing, like they've seen me, I can actually a lot of people in Charlotte. Um, but there were a flex. ton of jet fans there. Yeah, it's not flex. There was there were more jet. <laughs> there oh there were God, more jet fans in Charlotte. Yeah, actually, I flew home. I I'm not. I it's a little side. This is like I know the comment section. Like, we've been like egotistical so, prick. Like I know I'm gonna get so this. So serious for 22 minutes. Like we've had a straight football talk yeah. for 22 minutes. I'm on the uh, I'm on the plane home. Uh, I'm on the flight home and I'm sitting down and and I have to write, I had to write a story uh, that's actually running today. Like the X, like I write the post game column and then today runs the, or Monday on home games, Tuesday on road games runs the X additional thoughts, which is basically just like un unloading your head. Um, no, I, that's great. That is actually amazing. So yes, I was in traffic court yesterday and that person saw me. That is uh we wow. got a comment okay. for our audio listeners. We got a comment in the uh, YouTube just, chat that said they saw Ch Connor in traffic court. And if yeah, you listen back to a few podcasts ago, that's amazing. If you listen back to a few podcasts ago, Connor was not doing, um, not being safe while driving and had to appear in virtual traffic court. 
But uh, okay, continue about your flight home. Oh my god, uh, so that's that's amazing. Um, so I uh, I was flying home and I was starting to like write this story, like kind of tap around on the story or whatever. And uh, the guy, I guess, who was sitting next to me was reading over my shoulder, and uh, he goes, um, "Do you write for us?" And I was like, "Us?" I was like, "Who the hell are you talking?" He goes, "I was like, do you work for the Athletic?" I was like, "What?" He goes. He goes, I'm a Jets fan. He goes, what's your name? Now, obviously, I have my hat. It's an airplane, so you have your hat and your mask on. I was like, oh, my name's Connor. He goes, Hughes? I was just reading your tweet about Mosley. I was like, oh, my God. So it was like, oh, like people like that. Like, they'll ask you, like, what do you think of Zach? What do you think of Zach? So anyone, like, even friends and family who have asked me, like, you know, what do you think about Zach Wilson? What do you think about Zach Wilson? Like, how's the rookie look? That kind of thing. You meet somebody on the golf course. Who do you think about Zach Wilson? I've told them the same thing, and, and I genuinely believe this. I, Zach Wilson – the Jets handed Zach Wilson the starting job. There was no um, competition. There was no like Mike White never pushed them. I know they like. I think technically like uh, Salah said he has to earn it, but like the guy got literally every single first team rep from rookie mini camp throughout training camp. Like every day, the guy like was getting 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 stuff like getting getting the first team reps. So while he was just handed the job. There was also, it didn't matter if the Jets signed a veteran. It didn't matter if there was another person here, if they kept Sam Darnold. It didn't matter if there was Nick Foles here. It didn't matter any of that stuff. Chase Daniel, uh, Robert Griffin, Andy Dalton. Zach Wilson would have been this team's starting quarterback because Zach Wilson showed he's deserving of being a starting quarterback. He captivated his teammates why he was named captain. He excited the coaching staff with his work ethic and the fact that no one could ever outwork. I mean, no one in that building outworked him. Um, his mentality invigorated a lot of people because you saw how much he wanted it, the film junkiness, the way that, you know, he'll go eat with the offensive linemen one day, the defensive backs the next day, the tight ends one day, then he's with the linebackers. Like he, he, he did everything right off the field. And then he did everything on the field where you'd see the throws, you'd see the laser. You'd see the accuracy. You'd see a little bit of the escapability, although they were scripted practices. But then you got a chance to see it with the pass that he threw to Corey Davis in the preseason. So a little bit of that improbability. He earned that starting quarterback job. He was deserving of being this starting quarterback. And in my opinion, after watching him, I felt that not only did he deserve to play, but once he got on the field, you'd see some special things. And it wasn't going to be perfect. There were going to be hiccups. You saw the interception you threw to Shaq Thompson. That was a bad pass. Like you saw some bad throws. You saw some off throws. You saw some times where he held the ball too long on, on Sunday. But you were going to see special. Like you would see it. And then it's about building on that, developing it, and getting it to the point where you get really special and you get franchise quarterback. But you knew this year he was ready to play and he was going to turn some heads. Then there was always an asterisk. There was always a but. There was always a following of what after saying all that stuff. And it was if the Jets can keep him upright. But it doesn't matter if the Jets can't keep him upright. The Jets have to keep him on his feet. Because my concern with Zach was never Zach. I never had a worry about his inability to play. I never had a worry about this game being too big for him. I never had a worry that he would have a seeing ghost game like Sam did in year two, where it was like, oh, my God. What is going on here? Put this kid on the bench. I honestly never really believed that would come. I thought every game you would always see at least something that got you to the point where you were like, yes, 
Yes. It was just that the Jets had to keep him upright. And in that first half, they didn't come close to keeping him upright. Now, there were also drops. Like, the, the first half is completely different if Elijah Moore catches that 50-yard pass. You know, the, the game is completely different if I think it was Tyler Croft catches that pass on the rollout to get the first down. It's a little bit different if, if Corey Davis reacts slightly different on the rollout as well near the sideline. And instead of getting one hand up, gets two. And instead of it deflecting off his hands, he catches it. It's a 20-plus yard gain. There were plays there that if they're made, maybe the first half changes, maybe the game changes, because as we learned on Sunday, Sam Darnold still isn't a very good quarterback. There was like the um, like little plays like that, like just like you would see, like if they went his way, but he was just getting his ass kicked and there was pressure in his face. And you could tell at some points in that first half, he got a little flustered by the pressure, started forcing. It. I think that's where you saw the interception come in. In the second half, those plays that his receivers were not making, they were suddenly getting made. Those plays that his receivers were not putting together, they were suddenly putting together. Zach suddenly got more comfortable because the pressure was still there in the second half. Zach is now suddenly starting to get more comfortable in the face of pressure, started moving out, getting on the run, and making throws on the run. And that's where you saw, what was it, 17 to 21, 176, 176 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and 123 quarterback rating. What you saw in that second half, is what Zach Wilson's capable of. That second half from Zach Wilson was more impressive than anything Mac Jones did, anything Trevor Lawrence did, and then you can also throw in Trey Lance and Justin Fields, although those guys only play, what, like 10, 15 snaps each. I came away as confident in my assessment of Zach Wilson after Sunday as I have at any point this summer because I came away saying, this kid can play. I genuinely believe this kid is special. I genuinely believe the Jets have it here. I'm more confident. I think I think Zach Wilson showed me more yesterday in that second half than Sam Darnold showed throughout four quarters at any point in his Jets career. And everyone will go back wow. to, well, look how Sam looked in that opener against the against the Lions, right? That pick six was nasty. There were some other plays in that game where it was like, oh, that was rookie, that was rookie, that was rookie. You can talk about the Cowboy game. Sam was awful at the second half of that Cowboy game. In fact, the Cowboys almost came back when the Jets had their foot on their throat, and there was that, I think it was an interception he threw right in the red zone where it was like, oh my God, and it kept the Cowboys in the game when the Jets could have put slammed the door shut, shut the coffin. Zach Wilson has already shown me more than I think Sam ever did. He's already made more impressive throws than Sam ever did. And to do it in the face of unrelenting pressure told me even more than anything. And, and I can't wait to watch him week in and week out. I'm excited to watch what Zach Wilson does against the Patriots. I can't wait to see him against the Broncos. I want to see him against the 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 uh, the Falcons in London. I can't wait to see all these things, see with my own eyes, because I really think like there's something special here, and you're going to see little bits and pieces of special week in and week out and hope it builds and builds and builds, and suddenly there's more and more and more special as this season goes on. But it all comes down to keeping them upright, because ultimately all of this is – pointless all of this is irrelevant if the jets can't keep him upright because like I, you know, we said earlier zach survived this one he only had to be peeled off the turf he came up he threw that touchdown to Corey davis but if he takes another licking like that next week and lickings after like that the next week eventually he's not going to get up it's similar to what we said about sam darnold his rookie year sam was taking these same shots his rookie year and it was like when's it going to catch up to him when's it going to catch up to him when's going to catch up to him it caught up to him in the dolphin game when he showed up to practice in a walking boot and was out for a month you know, like that, that happens. Like it takes a toll on you. If you can't protect your quarterback, there's only so many hits like that, that the human body can take. And the Jets play some talented defensive lines this year. So 
as long as Zach Wilson's upright, as long as Zach Wilson has some time to throw, as long as Zach Wilson is getting clobbered every other play, we saw on Sunday Zach Wilson can play. But the Jets got to keep him upright. All right. Well, we have a few more things to get to in the offense. We'll talk about the run game and Elijah Moore. And then we'll also switch over to the defense and some more positive signs. Um, but first, a message from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Connor. So I know no one ever wants to hear about your fantasy team and everything, you know, but I had a lot of issues at running back. So I ended up starting Ty Johnson. And I, boy, we talk fantasy. I was like, we didn't talk about this. No, 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 no. Um, this is all personal. So, you know, I like I lost Gus Edwards and then Zach Moss didn't play for the Bills. So I was like, all right, Ty Johnson, my turp. I'm starting him. Connor said he's been all good. Uh, you know, could be running back one. We'll see. But man, was that running game rough. As a team, 17 carries, 45 yards, averaging 2.6 yards. Tevin Coleman, nine carries for 24 yards. I mean, that's that's got to improve in order to be successful. Not that it makes your fantasy team any better, but Ty did play more reps than anyone else. Like, I think yeah. it was... Uh, no, was you it? were Tevin right. Coleman. You were right in yeah. playing him over the others. But... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was not like the the yeah the the slowest fast person like really on that Someone one. Someone commented, "Fast person," I should say. Marissa must be in a sixteen league. I, I so I like I have had so many injuries on, on my running back position. So yeah, you know I was really like hoping my turp would carry. You know I'll, I'll I'll I believe in him. We'll see. But man, those those the running game was rough on Sunday. Yeah, it wasn't. It you know I think that's what and we we talked to Sally yesterday. So we talked to him on. Um, Monday day after the game for the conference call. And that's the one thing I said to him because in training camp, the one thing like the offensive line struggles, like from the pass blocking perspective, that was foreseen going into this one, because like I said, the jets couldn't pass block anyone in camp. But the one thing the jets could do, no matter who they faced was run block. Like right. genuinely they could do that. It was four or five times of practice. They were able to pop a legitimate run, whether it was Coleman Johnson or Carter and even P Ryan as well. They popped them against their own D or defense. They popped them against the Packers. They popped a couple against the Eagles. And that was when they lost a handful of guys and Greg Van Roten was getting better in rest days. So like they were able to, to run block and they were able to run block in the preseason. They were able to run back and train like that. That was the one take your hat off and hang it there because you know, you can do that. So to see this line struggle as much as they did run blocking, that to me was as was, I would say, puzzling as opposed to alarming because they can run block. Like, that's the thing mm -hmm. that this group can do. That's what they're made to do. Like, Becton, say what you will about his pass protection skills. He can run block. 
Connor McGovern can run block. Van Roten, Vera Tucker, they can run block. Fant as well is really good at getting out of the move, and he's fast, athletic, former basketball player. He can get out and run and pull and run block as well. So to see that struggle was was off. And Salah, again, he's the optimist, and it's getting a little annoying that like it's always like, oh, no, we're not worried. We're not worried. We're not worried. I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. Like, okay, fine. You're an optimist. I get it. But you also just you almost killed your rookie quarterback, so we can talk honestly for a second. Like, no, I forget the optimism let's just talk honestly like that's what i don't care about optimism pessimism honestly that's what i'm looking for honesty and he was as close to honest as i could i've ever heard him say because he said you know what paraphrasing slightly but it was i'm not alarmed it was almost like the i'm not mad i'm disappointed it was that it was the i'm not alarmed i'm not worried but it was disappointing because he said they had a great week in practice and when they went back and they watched the film what they saw were running backs that were taking the wrong lanes guys who weren't helping with their double team blocks, guys who weren't chipping when they were supposed to chip. It was like all these little mental errors, these mental errors that the Jets did not make in training camp, that they didn't make in the preseason, they didn't make make in the practices leading up to this game against the Panthers. They made them, and they made them over and over and over again, and it led to, draw. it led to, you read off the numbers, a yard per carry average of what, 2.4? But the whole thing is that, Nine of those yards came on one rush from Tevin Coleman. 12 of those yards came from one rush of Ty Johnson. If you remove those two rushes. Yeah, 45 yards total. Yeah, the Jets averaged. So remove those two, remove those 12 and the nine. The Jets averaged 1.6 a carry. Like that's awful. That's not like that. That's I mean, you can just like fall for. I mean, these guys are 5'11". Isn't like you can just fall forward and it's two yards. And they were like 1.6. Like, that's just, that was bad. And I know some of them were like exemplified. I think there was like a negative three. There was a a, a negative, a several negative rushes, like one where they were trying to get stretch plays. But like the run game is supposed to be the bread and butter of this offense. This is supposed to be, like I said, what you can hang your hat on and say, maybe we get pressure. Maybe we're not going to score a lot of points. Maybe we don't get the tight end involved. Maybe Elijah Moore doesn't start like we want. Maybe Corey Davis struggles with some drops. But what we know we can do, is that no matter who we face, we're going to be able to run the ball. We're at least going to be able to average for a carry. We know we're going to be able to do it. We'll have some big ones. We'll have some low ones. But we'll know we're going to settle at at least for a carry. And to settle at 2.4 and 1.6, if you remove those two rushes, that's bad. Like, that's really bad. And I think that's going to be a heavy point of emphasis. And I think what was, like I said, what was troubling is is not to repeat myself. And I know I'm going to hear about this. You know, he rambles, he repeats himself, blah, blah, blah. But that is what they could do in camp. It wasn't like pass blocking where they couldn't pass block anyone in camp. They could run block in camp and they got to this game and it was like, it was brutal. I mean, this was as bad as I saw it at any point the last two years, honestly. Like this was, a, this was as bad of a blocking performance as I saw in 2019 or 2020 when the offensive line was a complete disaster. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more thing with the offense we have to get to. It was a quiet day for Elijah Moore. One reception, four targets. Um, Is there any reason to be concerned? We've talked a lot about Elijah Moore on this podcast. You don't think there's there's too too much worry about that, right? No, no, I wouldn't. I mean, what I think people and I know people like it's it was that was that was to me was like disappointing and upsetting because. I was so excited to see him playing a game and, and mm-hmm. more excited for like jet fans to see him playing a game because what like jet fans didn't have the luxury that, that reporters did of, of seeing every single practice. So they didn't get to see 
what Moore accomplished in OTAs and minicamp. They didn't get to see what he accomplished very early in training camp, aside from the one or two that were open to the public. And after he suffered that quad injury that sidelined him about a month, they didn't get to see him in a preseason game against the Giants, Packers, or Eagles, or, or even in those joint practices against the Packers or Eagles. So it was like, this was like his chance, his chance to show Jet fans like, this is the excitement. Because I've said this, like the Jets believe they got a superstar in their hands with this kid. And you know why if you saw him in practice. I mean, he can take the five-yard pass and go 80. He can just go 80 going deep. He gets behind defenses. He's electric. He's exciting. He's fun. He's more. There's more talent in his 5'9 body than any other receiver that has come through this place probably since 2015 when the Jets had Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. And more is more explosive than both of those guys. So to see him come out and catch one pass for negative three yards, the drop for 50, it was or the drop for what it would have been a 50-yard gain, it was like, oh. But the one thing I will say is like, this was Moore's first game action since he was back at Old Miss. You know, this was practices when you're leading up to the regular season are very different than practices in training camp because practices in training camp are more intense, more team drills, more ramps you up, more prepares you for a game. When you're practicing during regular season, it's card days, which we've talked about on the podcast before, where it's the starting offense against the scout team defense. The scout team, the coaches hold up a card in front of the scout team defense, which the with the play they are going to run, which is a play the Jets are expecting to see on Sunday. And then the offense reps against the play that they're expecting to see on Sunday. So the defense, it's not the Jets starting defense that Elijah Moore is going up against. It's the scout team defense. And he's not seeing a full speed, 100 miles per hour defensive play where these guys are comfortable and know what they're supposed to do. He's going up against a defense that is learning the play they're going to run 12 seconds before they run it. So it's good to mentally prepare you for the game, but to physically prepare a player who's been out for a month, it's a little bit tough. So I think what you saw on Sunday was rust that needed to be locked, knocked off for Elijah Moore. I think there was some, um, uh, cause again, he had a quad injury, so he couldn't like run and, and get his stamina up. It was some stamina regaining that he had to get. It was him finding that comfortability again with Zach Wilson. It was, a a ramp up game, if you will, but unfortunately it was a ramp up game that came when the game counts. So that kind of was, was I think played against more. I'm not worried about that kid at all. I'm not concerned with that kid at all. In fact, we talked about the story we wrote on him early in the summer where he's got the names of, of all the players that are, that were drafted ahead of him written on his bathroom mirror. It would not surprise me if there is at Panthers one for minus three written on that mirror. Now too, to remind himself every single day that his NFL debut, he caught one pass for negative three yards. And he's going to use that as motivation to go out there this week against the Panthers and then against the Broncos, and then against the Falcons and really remind people of what he can do. The drop was bad. The drop pissed people off obviously because what it could have done to change the game. But I think this was just a kid that was needed some time to get back into the swing of things. And unfortunately was just thrown right to the wolves and said like fend for yourself given like a plastic fork to defend himself and like go ahead fight him off and and you saw the trouble with it i mean he's a player that catches that 50 yard pass 20 out of 20 times i mean i i every training camp practice he had i don't remember him dropping a single pass not one deep ones short ones all those like so i think that was just maybe a little bit of nerves uh, he'll knock him off. He'll be ready to go next week. I mean, of all of all things to be concerned about with the Jets after the opener, Elijah Moore is, in my opinion, last on the list. 
All right, actually, I, I lied. One more quick note on the offense, and we did just get a comment about this in the chat from Michael Basso. Where was Mims on Sunday? Mims only played three reps and no reps on special teams. What yes. do you make of this? And is this a concern when guys like Crowder and Cole come back? I plead. I wish I should just start pleading the fifth when it comes to me. Mims. <laughs> so I'm going to answer it two ways. First way is going to be what Sala basically said to us yesterday when we asked about this. Second way will be my opinion on the matter. So I can hopefully okay. separate this and make this so that Connor isn't, Connor doesn't hate Mims. Connor, anyone who watched my Twitch stream knows that I don't hate Mims. He's money Mims and he's actually a beast in Madden. And I moved him to tight end because I needed to get him on the field. And he was actually tearing apart. He actually, I had two injuries because I traded for Zach Ertz and uh, I put Mims at tight end. And he actually almost led me back, but I lost the game, which sucked. Um, yeah, Madden's, Madden still really, really sucks. That's not a very, very good game. Um, all right, so the reason why Mims only plays three reps, he right now is buried on the depth chart. Ahead of him on the depth chart, do not listen to what Sala said in a press conference in August. Don't just kind of put aside the good game he had against the, the Giants. I'm just telling you where he is working in practice, the number of players who are working in front of him. This is not coach speak. This is literally the Jets depth chart. It is, and you saw the depth chart on Sunday against the Panthers, and you saw it based off of the reps that everyone got. It's Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios as one, two, three. Then it is Jeff Smith. Those are the four Jets receivers. Then Denzel Mims. That's why Corey Davis and Elijah Moore played 50-something reps. That's why Braxton Berrios as a slot played 30 or 40 reps. That's why Jeff Smith played nine reps and Denzel Mims played three. When Keelan Cole and um, Crowder. Jameson Crowder get healthy, mm -hmm. both of those guys jump Mims and probably Jeff Smith. So the Jets depth chart then goes to Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Jameson Crowder is one, two, three, Keelan Cole. Braxton Berrios, Jeff Smith, Denzel Mims as seven. I know that's the case because I've also seen the rotations throughout practice. And he works basically with DJ Montgomery and Vincent Smith, who are the two practice squad receivers who aren't even on the 53-man roster. The reasoning for that, Salah explained to us yesterday. And the reason why Mims only played three reps yesterday is because the guys in front of him on the depth chart play ahead of him on the depth chart. That's why. What he said without directly saying it to Mims, and Salah has done this before, you just need to read between the lines and you need to find it because he can be honest. He just won't ever say it directly. You got to read between it. Mims doesn't know enough of the playbook to warrant extra plays. I know he checked in and immediately caught a 40-yard pass. So we're going to get to my point on all of this after. I'm just telling you from a coaching perspective, this is the coach's point of view. And then I'll get to the fact that I completely disagree with it, right? Because I can, guys should be on the field. Like I completely disagree. This is coach's film, coach's opinion. They doesn't know enough of the playbook to warrant going in. What Salah said is that in when one he has the guys in front of Mims are going to play in head of Mims. In order for Mims to get reps, he needs to know the entire playbook so that when an X goes out, a Y goes out, or I think it was an F goes out, Mims can go in any of those three positions. So 
obviously, as you know, as receiver, there's two outside X and whatever it is. And then so I don't like, I think all that, like X, Y, Z, all that, you know, I, I've had it explained to me before, but it's two outside and then a slot receiver. Mims knows the outside plays. He does not know the slot plays. He doesn't know the other outside plays. He knows the play that he's supposed to know. And that's it. So if Keelan, if Elijah Moore goes down, Mims doesn't know enough to replace him. Mims only knows enough to replace Corey Davis. If Braxton or Jameson goes down, Denzel doesn't know enough to go in there to replace them. He only knows enough to replace Corey Davis. Again, this also goes into the scheme fit. He's not a great yak guy, not a great route runner. He's more of the linear player, right? So that's what the linear route running, that's why he fell in the depth chart to begin with. Now, the fact that he doesn't know enough of the playbook is the reason why the Jets are playing other guys ahead of him, literally playing Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith, ahead of the guy they drafted in the second round last year. That is why Denzel Mims is only playing three reps a game. If you really want to dive into the snap counts, and this is just from experience of doing this as long as I have, Denzel Mims also played zero reps on special teams. Mm -hmm. Why is that important? For this reason, this reason only. When Cole and Crowder get healthy, Crowder will be this week. Cole is going to, the Jets are hopeful that Cole's back this week as well. Those two guys are automatically jumping, probably Smith, definitely Mims on the depth chart, like 100%. They're jumping them on the depth chart. That means that those three reps that Mims managed to get in there for, they're not going to him. They're going to be given to basically his reps and Jeff Smith's reps are going to go to Cole and Crowder. Like Crowder's reps or um, Braxton Berrios's reps are going to go to Crowder. Jeff Smith's reps are going to go to Cole. Mims' reps are going to go to Jeff Smith. It just all goes down that list. If Mims cannot contribute on special teams, which he did not play special teams on Sunday, right? No special teams reps when he was the final receiver on the depth chart. So the final receiver on the depth chart on Sunday who played zero special teams reps. The Jets are not going to keep active a seventh receiver, their number seven receiver, who cannot play special teams. Those sixth string and seventh string guys on the depth chart, they have to be able to contribute on special teams because you're not going to keep one of your 46 activations for a guy that is only going to play three or zero reps on offense because of the other guys that are active. So Mims was active this week. If Crowder and Cole were healthy, Mims is going to be, Mims would have been inactive in week one. He wouldn't have played. He would have been inactive. If Crowder and Cole are back this week, Mims is probably going to be an active week two. Like that's where he falls right now. And I know Joe said in in during his his uh, end of training camp before season press conference how much you know they're excited to develop him. And Salah has spoken. Oh, he keeps getting better. He keeps getting keeps getting better. The fact is is that he is the seventh receiver on this depth chart who can only play one position, who can't play special teams. And the Jets are going to now, basically, I would be stunned if he is active, if Cole and Crowder are healthy and ready to go. Right. That's why he only played three reps. It's just, that's just, I'm just saying that was just facts, Marissa. That's all that was. That was not my opinion. Hashtag facts, I, I got it. it. Yes, yep. facts. Now let's go to the other side of the fence. This is my opinion now. This is what I think. That's right. bullshit. All of that's bullshit. Denzel Mims is not the best route runner. Correct. Denzel Mims has throughout training camp struggled immensely with drops. That is a fact. Denzel Mims only knows the one position. I don't know that for a fact, but if the coach is saying it, 
probably a fact, right? All good. Denzel Mims runs a 4-3-40. Can't coach that. Yeah. Denzel Mims has a legitimate talent at stretching the field and running linear routes. It's a fact. I've seen it, right? He has that skill set. Linear routes, 4-3 speed. My Alexa's going off in the other room, and it totally come to, came to my ear. I don't know if my mic picked it up, but it totally liked it. I was like, why is she talking to herself? That's really weird. I'm the only one in the house because Bree's working. Like, this is a little freaky, but okay. So linear routes, he has a 4-3 speed, has a legitimate ability with those linear routes to get open deep down the field. And he has a Robbie Anderson-like tremendous ability that when the ball is in the air, he just tends to find it. Like, Robbie was so good at hype. Like, that ball and deep shots, Robbie just had an ability to find that ball and get ball. Denzel Mims is very similar, but he's better than Robbie at making contested catches. We saw it last year against the Chargers and the Chiefs and all that stuff. He, when that he can get deep with his 4-3 speed, he can get deep because those are routes he's good at. And when the ball is in the air, he can high point it and get it and bring it down and make contested catches. What I thought would happen when I first saw Mims falling on the depth chart to Barrios and Keelan Cole and all those guys was I was like, okay, the Jets have their four receivers, their three, four receivers, their two outside guys, their slot. But LaFleur will still use Mims because Mims has a talent. He has a legitimate skill set. He was going to be a second-round pick whether the Jets drafted him or not. He'll use him to put him outside and just run the things he's good at and do the things he's good at and have packages designed for him, and the Jets will get on the ball in those ways. Like, he'll still play because, okay, fine. He's not – you know, you don't want to start him because he doesn't know enough and he's not a, the perfect skill fit, okay, scheme fit, but he still has a skill set. Scheme fit or not, he still has a skill set that you can use that can make your team better. You'll use him that way. The fact that they've gone from he's not a scheme fit, he doesn't know enough of the offense, he's behind on the depth chart, so he's just not going to play no matter what his skill set is, that's like mind-boggling to me. Because when the kid goes on the on the field and when the kid is asked to do what he is good at, no shit, he's good at it. Like you saw him, his first play out there, he had a 40-yard gain down the left sideline. It was one of the most explosive plays the Jets had all day that wasn't a touchdown. Like, it was, like, legit. Why not work him in to run those plays? Why not have him active? Don't ask him to do what Corey Davis does. Don't ask him to do what Elijah Moore does. Don't ask him to do what Jamison Crowder or Braxton Berrios or Jeff, or Jeff Smith does. Don't ask him to do those things. Don't put a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. Put the square peg in the square peg hole. Like, have, <laughs> Jay, have Denzel Mims do what Denzel Mims does well. Have him run those routes. Throw him the ball when he's doing those things because he's shown. And blitz and in spurts and spits last year when he wasn't hurt, and in little bits this game, like the one pass he caught, that he can stretch the field, he can get deep, he can make plays for this offense when he does what he's good at. So ask him to do what he's good at. Like that's what we're not talking about a guy who straight up sucks. That's what I'm trying to say. Denzel Mims doesn't suck. Denzel Mims isn't great at certain things, but that's fine. There are players that are like that. Deshaun uh Jackson, the old Eagles receiver, then played for the Bucks and um Forget who he played. Maybe he just went Eagles to box. I can't remember. Deshaun Jackson was never a great route runner. Deshaun Jackson was never somebody that was going to go over the middle for you. But Deshaun Jackson could take the top off a defense like no one else. And so what did the Eagles ask him to do? Take the top off the defense. What did the Bucks ask him to do? Take the top off the defense. And what happened? Deshaun Jackson made Pro Bowls by taking the top off of a defense and doing those things. Denzel Mims isn't Deshaun Jackson. He's not that kind of like, you know, squirrely, just ridiculously fast player. He's a big body guy who runs a 4-3. So what he does well, have him do what he does well and let it help your offense. Not playing him 
not using him at all except for three plays, like that doesn't make sense to me. And when I then see, like I said, he played only three special team snaps and Jeff Smith worked ahead of him and knowing that Jamie Zagrano and Keelan Cole are both working, the Jets are going to have this kid inactive. And it, it it's it's mind-blowing to me. It really is. It does not make any sense because while I can see why the Jets are not starting him, it makes no sense to me why he is not playing. Honestly, it doesn't. All right. Well, we have still have to get to the defense. So we will take a quick break and we will get back with uh, some positive, some, some more positive signs. Um, and then we'll look ahead briefly to the Patriots. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. All right, Connor, we talked a lot about the areas in which the offense needs to improve. Um, the defense held up pretty well. They good, pretty good game. Uh, we really haven't talked about Sam Darnold that much. He really didn't look that great. John Franklin Myers had a good game, one sack, two tackles for loss, one QB hit. And the secondary held up pretty well, too. I would, I would definitely say this was a big positive of Sunday's loss. No, I mean, honestly, I hammered the over. Like, I, I went into this game, like, I thought the Jets would lose, which, I mean, they did. 
but I they get there's like a little uh well the line what would line go off at I think the line actually went off at three and a half I liked it at five mm-hmm. and a half I liked it at four and a half I liked it at three and I just didn't think the Jets would win this game but I thought it would be like the Jets score a lot of points and the Panthers drop like forty and that doesn't yeah. mean because I think Sam Darnold's good because I don't that doesn't mean because I think Robbie Anderson's a legitimate number one receiver because I don't I just did not think this Jets secondary would be able to do anything against anybody, especially guys like Moore, who's a pretty good receiver. And sure. um, uh, yeah, and and Robbie, who's going to be able to get deep, which he did. And then obviously, how the hell are they going to stop Christian McCaffrey? That kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. But He's- this defense, if it wasn't Christian McCaffrey, and there mm-hmm. are 31 other teams who haven't figured out how to slow that guy either, the Jets did a pretty good job. I mean, Sam, yeah. what, threw for like 234 yards in the first half and finished with 260? Or 270 or something like that. I mean, it looked like he was going to throw for 400, 500 yards in that first half. And the Jets came out came out in the second half, give a ton of credit to Ulbrich and give a ton of credit to, to Salah in the way that they were able to make those halftime adjustments because suddenly in the second half, the pressure was all over Sam. The secondary tightened up. You could tell the pressure started to get to Sam because he missed some wide open throws that could have blown this game out of the water. He missed him because he was feeling pressure. He had the happy feet. They shut down. Oh, they didn't shut him down, but they contained McCaffrey a hell of a lot better in that second half than they did in that first. And I I legitimately felt like this defense was going to come in here in Carolina and allow 35 or allow 40. I thought that the over-under was 42. I think it went off at 42 and a half. I thought there was a chance the Panthers cleared that themselves just because I didn't see how this Jets defense without Carl Lawson was going to stop them. What you learned is that John Franklin Myers is a beast. And if I'm the Jets and I'm Joe Douglas, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm talking contract extension with the guy now because what Mm -hmm. you can pay him now and get him back with is going to be a hell of a lot different than what you're going to pay and get him back with at the end of this year. I can tell you that right now because John Franklin Myers at the end of this season, if this season keeps going like this, he's going to be the guy that everyone wants. I mean, he's gone from playing in like a 34, you know, he he was coming along in, in, uh, in LA had the good Super Bowl was coming along. They got went to the Jets was playing in like that 34 scheme that that saw that um, Gase and Greg Williams wanted to run because they had the personnel didn't really get a chance to shine too much had a good season last year, but not really shine. Now he's in this 43 defensive front. He's that defensive end on first and second down then kicks inside to play defensive tackle on third down. He's playing that Justin Tuck Brandon Graham type role. And you saw on his sack and his quarterback hits. He is too quick and elusive for offensive guards to handle that he's able to force his way into the back. It would not surprise me if this guy ends the season with a team high eight, nine, maybe even 10 sacks. Like, I'll be honest with you. That's the kind of mismatch problem that he creates. And it helps when you got Quinn and Williams next to you. Like, that genuinely does help. And and for the Jets to have him get going, have Quinn, and he had a bad first half, but he got a couple quarterback hits in the second half as well. For the Jets to create that pressure on Sam, then have the secondary step up in a big way. Again, I know that some of the players were open in the secondary. They were like there, there, there were opportunities. Sam missed a touchdown throw to the tight end in the first half that changes this game. Um, Christian McCaffrey and Sam Darnold botched that full or the fullback got involved. The botch snap by the five yard line. If that doesn't happen, you know, I mean, you're talking about 14 points now added to the scoreboard and maybe this is a completely different game. And then if that's the score, maybe things get out of hand in the second half, but give the defense a ton of credit. Yes. Yeah, Sam missed throws. Yes. Yeah, Sam didn't play a great game in that second half, but the Jets defense tightened up. They created pressure despite the fact they didn't have Carl Lawson. They tightened up their coverage on the outside with Javelin Gidry and Mike Carter and uh, Eccles and Bryce Hall 
as your cornerbacking rotation. Their secondary, their safeties held their own when Colbert had to replace Redwine, who had to replace Joyner. Like, so the Jets, not only were, were the Jets, def- well, not only was the Jets defense undermanned and not all that talented going into this game, they then lost a ton of players and were having to play with guys that were on the practice squad and came here days ago. And they still managed to keep that Panther team in check. I mean, what was the, it was, the Panthers had what, 16 points at the end of the first half? They had three in the third and fourth quarters. Sam Darnold threw for like 50 yards in the third and fourth quarters. Robbie Anderson caught the 57-yard touchdown, yes, but that was the only pass he caught all day. If it wasn't for Christian McCaffrey, who is, I, I've never watched Christian McCaffrey play in person. He is so fast, so elusive, and literally so unstoppable. The guy had 89 receiving yards and 98 rushing. I mean, almost two, yeah. almost 100 yards each without a touchdown. If it wasn't for Christian McCaffrey, the Jets honestly might win that game. Like, because Sam's all, Sam's game, like Sam's stats were compiled by him sitting in the pocket waiting for Christian McCaffrey to get open and then dumping it down to him. If the play didn't go to Christian McCaffrey, the play didn't work. Basically, yeah. is how this offense worked. It was Christian McCaffrey, a one back shoulder on that that really nice back shoulder on the on the left side of the field, a couple open guys, and Robbie Anderson was also wide open. Like there was no like moving up and down the field on the Jets. I mean, I give this defense a ridiculous amount of credit for the way that they they held together. And and the one I would say that this unit reminds me a lot of the 2019 one with Greg Williams. A lot of where, 2019 comparisons today, comparing the offensive line funny. to 2019, the defense to 2019. This, this one's a good one, though. This is like yeah. a good comparison. Seriously, though, because like I, I honestly believe that like the, the defense is going to be one where they're going to get beat at times. They're going to have bad games at times because – there is a legitimate talent discrepancy between them and a lot of the offenses and receiving cores and quarterbacks that they're going to be face- facing. Like there's going to be some bad moments. They're also ridiculously young. So there's going to be rookie moments, but these guys are so young and so feisty and so fiery that it's going to be a defense that this fan base can get behind because you're not going to have like you did with Darrell Reeves in 2016. You're not going to have what you had with Tremaine Johnson you're not going to have what you had with Mo Wilkerson. You're not going to have what you had at times with Sheldon Richardson. You're not going to have what you had with those guys where they would be lackadaisical Cavaliers sometimes take plays off. These guys are going to have their foot down on the gas pedal every single snap of every single game. And like I said, there is a talent discrepancy. There's going to be plays what that the Jets lose. There, or there's going to be games that the Jets lose. There's going to be plays that don't work. There's going to be moments where you're like, what the hell just happened? Oh my God, that looks so bad. But every single play of every single game, they are going to be going 100 miles an hour. They're going to be putting their effort. And if teams do, like CJ Mosley said, if teams do sleep on the Jets, if they expect to just come in here and just you know put 50 up on this, de- on this defense without even trying, it's not going to happen. Because a lot of times, effort can trump talent. It's not going to completely do it, but effort can mitigate some of the gap between talent and, and no talent. And the Jets, Gidry, Eccles. Panic when he gets on the field. You're going to see it from the linebackers. You're going to see it from Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, Ward when he's out there, Lawson when he's out there. These guys, they're going to go out there and play their asses off. And you're going to, and this fan base, you're going to tell you're going to like watching this defense play if what we saw on Sunday is we're going to see the rest of the way. All right. Well, we have been going very long here, but we cannot end this podcast without giving a shout out to the MVP of the game, Matt Amendola. Let me tell you, that was very impressive. I love a good story being the, you know, sappy journalism. Connor, what was that? 
Sorry. I thought somebody tagged me on something on Instagram and I was like, I don't know what this oh, is. It looked just... like a meatball sub. It was kind of scared me for a second. I was like, how did that, what is this? I don't know. I, you got people that watch the show that were in traffic court with me. I'm a little court with me. Connor's attention. Oh, great. Now I lost him. Connor's attention span going um, an hour and seven minutes. Oh, and now it's just me. This is wonderful. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe I'll just start reading the comments in the chat. Oh, he's totally unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic. Of course, this is how the podcast, first podcast that I'm hosting would end. But yeah, shout out to Matt Amendola. Very impressive. First game comes out there, fills in for Brendan, man. I have no idea what happened. I have you no just idea left me solo here. on here. Yes, talking. I did. I was actually cracking up at that. But I swear Wait. to God, StreamYard just shut. It uh -huh. just shut off. And it just said everything disconnected. I'm like, but I see everything. I'm right here. So I don't know what happened there. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry, it made you. me a little nervous. I was about to end the show, but yeah, shout out to Matt Amendola. Um, very impressive his first game when Brendan Mann went out. Um, he stepped up in a huge way. That was impressive. So special teams get some love too. I know we devoted basically this entire show to the offense and you know defense there at the end, but uh, got to give special teams some love. So final Seriously, thoughts. Well, I was, oh, oh no. okay, continue. Oh, no, I was just going to say about Amendola, I said that what was wildly impressive to me about him was just what he did. It was like the fact that he told us yesterday he had never punted in a, in a game before. Not obviously as yeah. a rookie, so never in the NFL, never in high school, never in college. And then he comes out and he does that, averaging almost 50 yards a punt with a 65-yard boomer, two inside the 20. I mean, that was wild. Yeah. Now the Jets obviously still have to add a punter after that, but right. for him to come in and do that the way that he did it was not only remarkably impressive that he did, but almost unbelievable that nothing went wrong. Like yeah. that's why that's why Matt Matt uh, Rule called the timeout on the holding play when uh, Braden Mann went down. She was like, "Oh, make right. the kicker punt." Yeah, this right. guy at fifty something. I was like, I, "Well, all of us are in the press box." I was sitting next to Andy, and we're like, "It's actually pretty good." Yeah. And then the one after that goes sixty-five yards to the point where he kicked it so far that I thought Braden Mann was back in the game. That's yeah. what. Like I had looked down. I was like, "All right, the Jets are punting." I had saw Brendan Braden Mann kicking into the kicking net. I see a punt go 65 yards. I'm like, oh, Braden Mann came back in. Nope. It was Amendola. It was amazing. It really was amazing. Give that kid a ton of credit. Yeah. Especially his first NFL game. Yeah. First NFL game. Pretty awesome. All right, Connor. Um, we've been going way too long here. But real quick, final thoughts um, for this week ahead of the Patriots. We will have another podcast breaking down the Patriots. So we don't need to get too into the weeds. But, you know, what are, what are you looking to see change? What are you looking for the Jets to adjust this week? <laughs> protection that's the big thing because the one th it, like bill belichick's going to see how this jets offensive line struggled in week one no yeah. beckman's out no it's another rotation coming in and he is going to take what the panthers did and exponentially um exponentially complicate it more for the offense to the point where if the jets were confused by the by matt rule and the panthers vanilla defensive scheme what mm -hmm. the hell do you think bill belichick's going to do and he's going to want to shove it down woody john he knows what Bill Belichick knows Woody Johnson's back home now, and he's going to want to show that my rookie quarterback's better than your rookie quarterback, and the best way to do that is defensively. And he's going to bring Judon. He's going to bring blitz packages. He's going to give coverage looks that Zach Wilson's never seen, and that it is all going to – it's going to be ugly if this pass protection doesn't get better because if you thought the Panthers could get home, just wait to see what Bill Belichick draws up because you know he wants this game. And it's – they got to get better. they got to get better or or – it might be Mike White time week three. Yikes. All right. Well, hopefully Zach Wilson will not be seeing ghosts. Um, and we will have a full Patriots breakdown on Friday morning, 9 a.m., I believe, if Connor can. Uh... Connor's been waking up early. So um, very, very impressed with Connor. No clue time. why. No clue why. <laughs> Lucy's not. Lucy's been passed out in this corner the entire time. I know she just looked up at me.
<laughs> I know Bree tuned in and she screenshotted Lucy. She's like, oh, I know Lucy was joining the podcast today. Been here the whole time too. Hasn't I think she left when I was during the offensive line rant when things got a little tense. She got up and left. She can't handle when I'm angry or when I'm yelling. So she got up and walked out of the room, but then she came back in. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for listening and joining us today. If you do not have an athletic subscription, it's still 50% off. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait and make sure you are su- subscribing, liking, yet. commenting. What? Don't close I was gonna say, Yeah. When you're done this, when you're done this, just don't close that right up right away. Okay. I was going to say, I was, yeah, sorry. Continue. I was trying to do my outro there and Connor just keeps, you know, <laughs> all right, I'll just say no. I'll just say no. What would you like That's to say? Like, you did a great job. You did a great Thank job you. hosting your first one. That's what I was going to say. I was going to be, nice. it was like for your first time ever hosting, I know how nervous you were and how worried yes. you were about filling uh, was... Tim's big shoes. Mm-hmm. You did a very, you did an excellent job. You brought the Thank stats, you. you brought the information, you kept me in check. You kept me in line. You Thank survived you. A, uh, a hiccup where I just disappeared. Not yeah, even that trying. Was, that wasn't even like that was like when they used to have the old sports center thing where like be an anchor for a day or like the anchor competition, they would cut off the teleprompter. I was just totally gone. You kept going. You were fine. You're ready to close the show all by yourself. So a, yeah. a round of applause for me and everyone in the comment section. Thank you. Your, uh, you you your, make it very easy, Connor. Awesome. You make it, it very, awesome. very easy to work with. A lot of good information, as always. Um much easier than Bo ever would. <laughs> <laughs> I love all my podcasts the same, you know, they like to get me, they like to set me up to, you know, compliment birds with friends only, but I'm very, very fair with all of my shows. So Connor will have a lot more this week. So be sure you're checking out the athletic for all of that and tune in on Friday morning for a full Patriots breakdown. Thank you so much for listening and have a good rest of the day, everybody.